There's been an enormous amount of change in business in the last 18 months, perhaps more than I've seen in my entire business lifetime up till now. And I'm keen to examine uh, what some of these changes might be and what opportunities these might uh, present. Uh, why am I qualified to do this? Well, uh, I am a businessman, a coach, an entrepreneur, um, an investor. I've uh, set up more than 30 companies. I float a business on the stock market, led hostile takeovers. Um, and I guess I've, it's not always been glamorous, but I've worked at the coalface of business Britain. Um, but why should you take my word for it? Uh, I've prepared a list of 10 questions and I'm going to ask the same 10 questions to six different people from completely disparate areas. Uh, some people from the arts, billionaires, economists, uh, comedians, and I'm asking them a whole range of questions uh, from how they think uh, life, business life will be in post-Brexit, post-Covid Britain. Uh, to the advice that they might give, uh, give their children and what they think about climate change. Um, and I look forward to exploring those conversations. Gary, hi. Paul, good morning. I'm welcoming you to your show. Isn't this the wrong way around? <laughs> it is, yeah. The tables have definitely been turned on you now. Should so I be interviewing you? You should be, um, but I thought it would be a good idea for me to interview you, actually. Ah. Um, you've got three decades or more worth of, ex of experience in various different businesses. You started, scaled, and sold a number of businesses during your time. So that kind of gives you um, uh, uh, almost an unparalleled sort of insight and understanding as to the nuances, the challenges, the opportunities that are facing businesses in various different situations. You've experienced your own um, uh, number of it's like upturns and downturns in economies, and you've seen when things have gone sort of like flatlined. Um, so the experience over the last 18 months probably isn't that unusual in terms of what you've gone through before. And I'm sure there are parallels to, to be had there. So it'd be really interesting to get your take. And, and I think particularly looking back at the last 18 months and trying to really get an understanding as to how that has positioned us in terms of what new opportunities or potential threats that might lie ahead for, for businesses over the next 18 months and beyond. Well, you know, uh, the last 18 months has been, have been miserable. There's no doubt about it. But I'm more positive than ever about the future. Uh, I think there have only been two or three occasions in my business life when I've sort of seen this much kind of pent up demand and activity. Um, and I'm really excited about the future. I'm really excited about a post-Brexit Britain. Uh, I spent some time living in Switzerland. I had a home in, in Switzerland uh, for a while. And I saw how they interacted and, and were uh, a great part of Europe without being in Europe. I think we can do the same, celebrate the differences between countries in Europe. Uh, and I think that there's, you know, I read an article called The Gift of the Jab, whereas I think post-COVID, um, almost like the sort of roaring 20s, or when Harold Macmillan said you've never had it so good after the, the Second World War, we're in for a real treat now um, in business. And if you can't succeed in business now, Paul, you might as well pack up and go home because you, you shouldn't, be, shouldn't be here at all. Is it not a fear that we've reverted to a... Well, is it a splendid isolation that we have now? We've become an island state again. We're not part of the EU. You know, what's that... You know, how's that going to shape the way... Britain, British businesses do business? 
No, I don't think we've been an island state at all. I mean, I think what what um, it's been interesting actually. Just look at how Europe screwed up trying to buy the vaccine for all the countries. They didn't. They just all went off their own separate ways and did different deals with with different uh, suppliers. So it's been it's it's been very hard for Europe to be efficient. Um, it's been difficult for them to. Uh, not be uh, wasteful in their uh, putting their economies together. Uh, so, I, you know, do we need a do we need a trading relationship with with America? There don't seem to be awful tariffs. I'm sure that we'll do trading relationships. So, no, I'm I'm terribly positive, um, and I think it's inconceivable that um, you know, for example, the German economy won't want to sell their cars and dishwashers to us. Of course, they will. Yeah. So, I think sense will prevail when the emotion calms down. The stock phrase that seems to be used time and time again, and we, we hear this pretty much every day, is everything has changed as a result of the pandemic. Um, it has become somewhat of a cliche, but like most cliches, there is a resonance of truth within those as well. W- what do you see as being the the, the greatest trends that uh, will likely emerge from this current period? You know, people when when, when dramatic things happen, People say, oh, the world's never going to be the same again. But it is. Mm. And it tends to revert back to close to normal. So, you know, 20 years ago, we we're talking about the, 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 the sort of 20 year birthday of 9 11. And I remember at the time how dreadful it was. And how I was seeing all these people jumping out of buildings and 5,000 people were killed. So the world will never be the same again. But it kind of is. You know, 60,000 people were killed on the first day of the First World War. That really was was a tragedy, um, and and things get back to normal. So I think when things like this happen, it's it's really speeding up a process that was already a trend that that, that really was. And if you look at the high street, you know there's a tragedy. So many shops have, have 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 closed now, but actually weren't they zombie shops anyway? Hasn't it just kind of hurried up their their closing? Wasn't that the trend anyway? Um, you know it's been a tragedy that we've lost so many so many people so many people have died but many of them were were old and infirm uh, and it's and it's a real tragedy um so so i think that the trends that were happening anyway will continue to happen um but, but actually things do tend to to get back to normal and we've obviously seen with things like the the furlough scheme which was then extended and then extended again and there've been various other costs which the the government is having to you know to, to pay for and we're looking at a region of about 400 billion pounds which is you know no mean fees it's a sizable amount of money and that represents around 20 percent of gdp and it's 10 percent higher than the amount the government spent during the last recession of 12 13 years or so ago how's that going to be paid who's going to pay for it where's the responsibility going to be you know which desk is it going to be put on well i think it's interesting uh it, I don't think we should panic. Uh, 400 billion does seem like a lot of money, but actually with a bit of inflation in the system, the debt always tends to to seem less. Um, And and I think we need to have a proper think about who's going to pay for it and who's going to pay for the the NHS. Um, Because uh, even a school child would tell you very easily that this uh, recent national insurance tax um, is complete horseshit, uh, really. And it uh, penalises young people and the job creators. When 
actually, and, and it's because the people that vote and the members of the Tory party and the donators of the Tory party, you know, I'm speaking as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a capitalist now, and I love the free society. But in this case, you have to say uh, the older, richer people who have households should be paying more. Um, you know, there's a ceiling on national insurance. Um, so, so the kind of really wealthy people are get, getting away with this. Uh, so I think that the way it should be paid for is probably by a taxation on, on housing. Um, and if you look at, uh, at the kind of council tax that people pay, that's capped as well. You've got a £10 million house. You're paying the same as a person with a £3 million house. Which doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't seem to make no. any sense. And I, I think, Paul, that uh, y you know, we should take a, a, a proper look uh, at, at the taxation system and, and take a breath... I mean, when we're talking about, um, you have me to talk about the NHS, that kind of mm -hmm. monolith that's su supported us through this. Because um, it seems to me there are two issues about, uh, about the NHS. One is that it's underfunded. And the other issue is that it's, it's this huge, inefficiently run monolith. And the answer isn't just raising money and throwing money at it. It's actually not, you know, successive governments have kicked the can down the road. We actually have to take a look at it and try and, figure out a way of running it efficiently and fairly. And if that does mean outsourcing parts of it because it's more efficient to do that, um, then, then we should do that. So I don't think we should be over, overly freaked out about the amount of debt, um, but it does need to be paid for, but not by raising taxes for the entrepreneurs and the job creators because they'll just go to a different country and do it elsewhere. Mm. It kind of leads to to the next question, really, which is uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like a two part question, really. One is the relationship between businesses and the government as a result of what's happened and things which are happening in the next few months, and also the element of trust as well. And it was quite interesting. The the annual Edelman Trust Barometer came out at the beginning of this year, and it was saying that business confidence in government institutions is plummeting and has been for about three consecutive years, which isn't good at all, <clears throat> pardon me, at all. But it does lead to the question of, well, what does the government need to do to patch up the relationship it has with the business community, which I would argue they, they don't necessarily have a huge amount of confidence in the government, particularly when you've seen over the last few days, there's talk of, a, of another lockdown potentially, even though the language surrounding it has been eased over the last 24 hours or so. But then, of course, you've, you, you've got the element of, you know, well, do businesses actually trust the government to deliver on what they're going to say? Because there's been an awful lot of U-turns in the current um, administration, hasn't there? There have. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I think people used to turn on the news and trust the BBC and trust uh, what the government had, had said. And, and I think over the last... 20 years or so, that trust is, is diminishing. I mean, we knew when Tony Blair said, oh, we're only 45 minutes away from getting new, we know we need to go into the Middle East and, and protect ourselves. We knew that was crap. You know, people looking at the TV knew that was crap. And I think now people have stopped trusting the media, especially the BBC, and stopped trusting the government because we're being spoon-fed um, such crap, really. Uh, and the decisions that have been made in uh, in lockdown have been disastrous. I mean, I'm thinking about the beginning when the government were decanting people with COVID into into care homes to in infect and ultimately end the lives of of, of, of older people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's healthy for us to to, uh, to distrust um, the government, and we're seeing what other governments in different countries are spoon feeding their citizens in China and in 
in, in Russia. Um, so uh, I think it's a problem. Mm. And uh, it may be that governments need to start making better decisions and telling the truth um, a bit more. Mm. Um, and, and not trying to kind of mollycoddle the human race. And I guess as well, on, on a leadership perspective, when, you, when you've got that kind of behavior taking place and you don't seem to have a, a credible alternative leader who can come in and you know take up the mantle and actually do it how we think probably needs to be done, um, I suppose there are lessons there for, for business leaders as well to, to really think about, okay, well, you know, we can't trust the government to, you know, to do this or that, so we need to take ownership of it ourselves, I suppose. Well, despite me saying that, that, that I'm really excited about the opportunity, business leaders hate uncertainty. Mm. And uh, there does seem to be uncertainty at the moment. If we know what we're dealing with, we can make a plan to, yeah. to get there and chunk it down, and, um, you know, begin with the end in mind and, and work our way uh, towards that goal. A bit like sort of setting a sat-nav in your car and then following the plan to your destination. So it's uncertainty the business leaders don't like. Uh, uncertainty of, of employment, uncertainty of, of, of taxes, uh, and I think there is some uncertainty at the moment, and, and businesses are seen as soft targets. But if you punish the wealth creators, and if you punish the job creators, then ultimately you won't get the tax receipts that you need to rebuild the economy. You wrote a blog recently, which um, which I thought was fascinating, and there were three key things that really resonated with me in terms of what you were talking about. And you were talk it was in connection with uh, with Albany Beck. And you were talking about the focus on agility, rapid responsiveness, and pretty much reimagining the traditional recruitment model, the traditional business model, you know, for, for that particular sector. Um, do you think that's something that tomorrow's entrepreneurs, or even today's entrepreneurs, really new entrepreneurs and startups, need to really factor into the equation when starting a business? And, you know, how has, how has the pandemic and this whole experience affected or influenced the way that entrepreneurs will be moving forward? Because I, I'm guessing is there are going to be certain types of traits that they will need to deploy now compared to those that, you know, when I set up 15 years ago, when you set up, when you did. Um, I'd just be interested to hear what, what you think on that. I think two or three things on that. I think that the pace of decision-making has uh, sped up and people have, to survive, people have had to change their business model uh, quickly, and some have embraced that really, really well. They've embraced an online presence. Uh, one of our clients, um, a group called Collinson, who run the kind of priority lounges at, uh, at different airports, certainly had no customers, and they throw away, I understand, a throw away uh, comment at a board meeting, said, well, why don't we turn them into testing centers, and boom, suddenly there's a new, a new business invented. So I think that the winners will be the agile companies, the companies that are able to walk between the legs of giants um, and, and turn quickly like a mirror dinghy can do. Um, so, so I think that those are qualities that, that, that they'll have. I think there's a great opportunity for the people that are prepared to come back to work, the hustlers that are prepared to get in front of people and, and, and see them eye to eye. Uh, I'm already seeing people back in the office, the kind of creativity across the water cooler. Uh, yesterday I was, I was in the office and uh, somebody was on the phone to somebody else and they said, I know that person, put them on the phone, I know them, let me talk to them. And, and you, you wouldn't get that with, with, with home working. So I think there's a terrific opportunity for the, for the kind of hustlers that are prepared to you know, do, do what it takes now. Uh, and that's where my, my kind of excitement uh, comes from. Um, and 
I think that there are opportunities everywhere. It's about the execution. You know, there are good ideas on every street corner. It's about grabbing something and executing it brilliantly. Um, I think lots of people that are thinking of setting up their own businesses are always waiting for this great idea, this great unique idea. Um, but, you know, they, they don't come along very often. Taking something that you feel passionate about and then executing it really well and working hard, I think that's the way, that's the way forward. It could be anything. Mm. You, you mentioned agility, which I think is quite an important one. And do you think, and there are very many different views on this, but do, do you think part of the reason why a number of businesses went to the wall during the pandemic was because they just weren't agile enough. They couldn't re- react and respond effectively and they were so so like channeled in their specific sector of focus without actually thinking, well, actually, we can use our own skills and experiences but transplant them into other sectors or other products or services. Do you think there was an element of Absolutely. lack of agility? Absolutely, there was an element of lack of agility. And it's always been thus, though, hasn't it? You know, there was a time we'd all pop down to the high street and get our rent our DVDs from Blockbuster uh, Video. Um, and then, you know, life changed and it went digital. Now, Blockbuster could have adapted. They could have embraced that new digital technology. They could have been the new Netflix. Um, but they chose not to. They, you know, myopically carried down you know, this, this path and, uh, and eventually went bust. But I suppose what um, Britain and especially America are good at is reinventing themselves. So high streets will reinvent themselves. Businesses will reinvent themselves. Um, you know, there's sort of natural cleansing, really, that old business practices that don't work anymore aren't, aren't rewarded. And if, uh, if COVID's done anything, it's kind of sped that up, I think. Mm. In the, um, you, you were recently interviewed for uh, for the Daily Telegraph, and um, I'm going to quote you. You said oh, we are God encouraging God, people, <laughs> we're encouraging people to come back to the office five days a week. Can you talk a little bit more on that in terms of how you see the, you know, how relevant and important it is for people to to be physically back working together in the same, you know, under the same roof, and you know what impact remote working on a on a prolonged period of time might have on individuals, organisations. Uh, without being over dramatic, I think we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see the awfulness now that uh, that COVID has produced. Now people are coming back to the office, and I'm certain in my head that the that the medicine um, of lockdown will have caused more damage than the illness. So we're starting to see terrible mental health issues, addiction issues, divorce, domestic violence. Um, we've got full-time psychologists on staff now uh, secretly talking to people or discreetly talking to people um, about their, their issues. Uh, we've had suicides, we've had attempted suicides, we've had people that have... And I think human beings are meant to be gregarious mm-hmm. and to be the best version of themselves that they can be, need other people to bounce across. Mm-hmm. Businesses are creative instruments and, and thrive on new ideas and passion and, and creativity. And whilst I do see a, a place for um, some remote working, I think that the people that really want to get on are, are the ones that are prepared to come back and, and hustle and, and outpace their competitors. I mean, being good in business isn't ultimately about being good. It's about being better than the next person. And there's an opportunity now to, to get out there and, and, and come back and, and, and be the best version of, of yourself. You, I mean, I... I pay a personal trainer to beat me up at the gym. I give them money because I want to be the best version of myself I can be, and I wouldn't do it by myself. I need a coach. Mm. 
Do you think some of the decisions made by certain businesses, large and small, um, towards the end of last year and the turn of this year to to announce that they were going to be fully remote or, 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 you know, at one point when, you know, lockdown was eased that they would be partly remote, um, um, you know, the hybrid working model. Do you think some of those decisions were a little bit hasty? Because, you know, before Christmas, productivity, productivity levels seemed to be going up. Everyone was enjoying working from home. It, it was a novelty. But then the honeymoon period kind of wore thin, didn't it, towards Christmas and then the turn of the year. And then when lockdown was extended even further, it was like, Oh, there was like a collective universal sigh that that was uh, exhaled. Do you think some of those businesses who made those early decisions might potentially be regretting them or they might reverse them at some point? I think that they will. I think some will be reversed and I think a lot of people were going for the soundbite rather than, than thinking things through. As I said earlier, I think that there have been trends in business. You know, if you and I were talking 10 years ago, we might both have been wearing ties and a suit. We're not doing that now. You know, you wouldn't be an investor in the tie rack now, would you? You know, no. it's not a great place to be. So I think there have been trends. And for a while, even before COVID, there was a trend that people would work from home a little bit and that there'll be some productivity uh, working from home. But I think there, there are a different set of rules and there are different types of people that are successful when they're working from home because there needs to be a different, you know, you need to be more disciplined. Uh, so from the office, you know, you need to work to engage people more while they're working from home um, you know perhaps you need to check with somebody when you're signing in or signing off you know if you have the luxury to have a desk and a laptop at home you know young people in a, in a shared accommodation flat in London might not be able to do that you don't have the luxury to do that um, and there's a different amount of discipline to be successful so it'll suit some people um, but, it, but it's not that the working from home people need to change it's the management of them need to change as well to be more sophisticated in, we, in the way that we remote manage people. Mm. On a slightly different subject matter, I suppose, um, we had you know the dot-com boom where the internet came along and completely disrupted the world of commerce. Um, we're now seeing the sharp rise in cryptocurrency. Uh, you've got the likes of El Salvador a few months ago who announced that they were um, um, they were making uh, Bitcoin legal tender, and there are other stage, uh, uh, nations that are stating that they're going to be doing something very, very similar. Um, it, it, is it just hype, or do you see this as the, the future of financial transactions? I wish it would be the future of transactions because I love the thought of a free economy. Uh, but the realist in me thinks that various countries and governments won't want to see that freedom. They'll still want to retain control of their economy. And uh, I looked up uh, last week, and there are now over 20 countries that have either banned or are thinking of banning or have restricted cryptocurrencies in some ways. So I may be wrong, I often am, but I would be a seller of cryptocurrencies. I would be a shorter of that market if you're playing it for financial gain. Um, and sadly, I think it, uh, it will be something that's uh, running at the periphery of, uh, I don't think it's going to replace uh, the sort of what we call legal tender. Mm. The Guardian earlier this, this week reported, um, they published the results of a survey that was undertaken, um, a global survey by Bath University, and they found that 60% of 16 to 25-year-olds 
um, are worried or extremely worried about climate change and the impact it's going to have on all of us. 40% interestingly said that they don't feel the government is doing enough to, you know, to positively affect climate change. Um, are, are we all doomed? Is climate change something that is irreparable or can we still do something about it? Well, I think it is irreparable. I think we can do something about it. But um, just to kind of spin this on its head a little bit, I mean, I was a child of the 60s. I was born in the 60s. There were 3 billion people on the planet in the 60s. Now there are 8 billion people on the planet. Um, you know, that's the reason or one of the main reasons that we've got problems with, with you know, if, if humans are one of the reasons that the, 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 the climate is changing, that reason is because there are 8 billion of us, not 3 billion of us. And I think just buying an electric car, you know, isn't, isn't the answer. Uh, the, the world is, is, is getting warmer, and uh, that will mean that some countries are more difficult to live in uh, and have challenges that we'll have to do. But I don't think we can turn the clock back. Um, I think we're just going to have to learn to find solutions. Yeah. Um, and, and most of the damage is caused by you know, either agriculture or burning fossil fuels. So unless, you know, unless big countries, you know, let's talk about China, unless China take responsibility for burning fossil fuels, um, you know, people are going to be looking at them and, and wondering why they aren't setting better examples. Do you think businesses are doing enough? to tackle climate change. I mean, there's a lot of talk. There was um, the, the Competition and Markets Authority um, announced in April that around 60% of claims made by businesses about their so-called green credentials are bollocks. What do you think of that? Do you think they are? Do you think there's a lot of wanting to pin their colours to the mast but not actually you know, follow up what, what they preach that they do? When, um, when businesses have a cost to change things, they'll tend to resist it. So there has to be pressure. You know, we had terrible uh, health and safety issues, you know, in the mining industry uh, 100 years ago, terrible health and safety, people were killed in mines all the time. So, so businesses need to be coerced and forced to, to make changes or embarrassed to make changes until it becomes mm -hmm. cultural. Yeah. And then there's a seesaw. Uh, and if businesses then think that they're rewarded for making those changes, then that's when it'll become cultural and endemic. Final question. If you were addressing a school of future entrepreneurs, um, the, the next generation, uh, children who are looking to set up and start up on their own and achieve something, you know, even remotely close to, to what you've achieved during your career, um, and you had to impart just a single piece of advice, what would that advice be? It, it would really be about, and that's a good question because I did recently address uh, 400 girls at a school in Enfield, uh, a girls' school in Enfield, a state school in Enfield, and uh, and if they are the future, then I think we're in safe hands. I was really impressed um, with 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 the questions they asked, uh, and so so my advice to to young people going into business would really be about be curious, ask lots of questions, ask why, ask why not, be cynical, don't believe everything you're t you're, you're told. Um, and be confident in yourself, you know, uh, work for yourself. You know, I'd encourage entrepreneurs to set up businesses young. Um, you don't need to wait until you've got 50 grand's worth of student debt. You know, if you want to drop out and start up when you've got nothing to lose, you can pick yourself up, dust yourself down and get a job with somebody else. If it doesn't all go right, 
Um, so be optimistic, be positive, but ask lots of questions. That would be, be my advice. That's a great way to finish. Gary, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you for putting me on the spot, Paul. And I hope it's been an enjoyable experience being in the other seat for once. It's more difficult being in the other seat. <laughs> thank you.